And the story is really just the traction that we have with our enterprise deals and and what's going to be coming in the pipeline in the next month or two. Uh, There's some pretty exciting brand names and some big opportunities. uh, So I think that the investors are going to be pretty excited about that. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka. Now, if you're hearing this, it means you're not currently on our subscriber feed. To subscribe, go to getlatka.com. When you subscribe, you won't hear ads like this one. You'll get the full interviews. Right now, you're only hearing partial interviews. And you'll get interviews three weeks earlier from founders, thinkers, and people I find interesting. Like Eric Wan, 18 months before he took Zoom public. We got to grow faster. Minimum is 100% over the past several years. Or bootstrap founders like Vivek of Question Pro. When I started the company, it was not cool to raise. Or Looker CEO Frank Bean before Google acquired his company for $2.6 billion. We want to see a real pervasive data culture, and then the rest flows behind that. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. There, you'll find a private RSS feed that you can add to your favorite podcast listening tool, along with other subscriber-only content. Now look, I never want money to be the reason you can't listen to episodes. On the checkout page, you'll see an option to request free access. I grant 100% of those requests, no questions asked. Hello, everyone. My guest today is John Stern. He's always been fascinated with technology and interpersonal communications and has been in a multi-time early stage sales leader and recently co-founded Ringpin with his good friend and business partner, Brian Levine, to help companies reach customers in more meaningful ways from more places. He's living in sunny San Diego with his wife and two young kids. John, you ready to take us to the top? Yeah, this is awesome. Thanks for having me, Nathan. You bet. Hey, so tell us a little bit quickly, um, what space is Ringpin playing in and is it a pure play SaaS business? Yeah, it is a SaaS business and um, we actually cross into a lot of different industries because we help anyone that has any physical products or location run um, you know, digital campaigns or, or provide digital experiences from those physical places. So it works a lot in retail, e-commerce, shipping, packaging, um, so many different uh, real estate. So we cross over into a lot of different industries. Can you just try and make that real for, for the, the crew listening and say, can you, make, can you maybe tell a customer story on how they're using you? Yeah, sure. Um, like we uh, support 40 pizza shops in Toronto and they use us on their mailers, on their boxes in order to get customers to re-engage, leave reviews, buy more pizzas, all that type of stuff. Uh, we can also work with payment processors so people can take their bills, scan a QR code, and it can skip all the friction and they can one-click pay from there. So we make it really easy to drive digital actions from physical products and places. Did you grow up in a family that maybe had a small business or a pizza shop location or something like that? Like what, what got your brain so interwoven into this, this cohort, this sector? It's funny that you asked that. Actually, my father um, has been a professor for 49 years, but he also had an IT consulting company on the side. And I grew up working for him very young and started my own IT consulting company right out of college. So uh, both Brian and I have been helping people solve problems using technology for over 20 years. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so there was an agency model here and through the agency, you learned a little bit more about the SaaS you wanted to build. Yeah, it's just, um, you know, working with so many different customers over the years, we were able to identify some problems and always um, interested in remote work and remote communications. And then really the pandemic accelerated uh, a lot of the things that were already in place, but a lot of the physical places were left behind. 
So we saw a big need in the market to bring all these greatest advancements, you know, from the digital world to the physical world because, you know, digital won and uh, physical needs to take advantage of all those advancements. And, and what are these customers paying RingPin on average to use this technology suite you've built? Yeah, typically we have a minimum of like 2000 a month, but it really depends because there's so many different um, ways that you can use our software. Um, you know, you can set it up for communications, you can set it up to generate user content, um, you can set it up to just redirect to another website. Mm -hmm. So it really depends what program our customers um, want to use it for. And we are usually able to find something that works for everybody. And would you say that sort of 2000 a month or $24,000 per year is sort of the sweet spot average? Or is that really a starting point and you have serious, you know, expansion revenue opportunities? Yeah, um, we have expansion revenue opportunities, so that's yeah. just to get started. And then we're hoping to work with um, you know some pretty big brands that, that that's just a drop in the bucket for. Yeah, let's capture more of the backstory here. So you just touched on it briefly with your dad being a professor, your agency business as well. When did you officially launch RingPin? What year? Yeah, way back in 2016, the very end of it. And oh, wow. it, it looked very different then. And um, you know, it was a side project for Brian and I for many years. And then um, last year, you know, when we saw the pandemic uh, coming, we really kind of pivoted hard into this physical to digital transformation. Um, and uh, we'd been sending QR codes back and forth to each other for years and years. And, and I told them, Americans are too stubborn. We're never going to do a <laughs> QR code business. It was basically like a dirty word for a long time. But um, I was in Brazil in the end of 2019, and, and I was able to order an ice cream cone through a QR code. And I sent him a text. I was like, hey, this is pretty cool. Now you can do something fun with QR. And we saw you know, the videos and, and stories coming from China, seeing how people were um, using QR codes to get access to different areas because of COVID. Mm -hmm. So we knew that the adoption was going to be forced here in the US. And we saw it first at you know, restaurants for menus. And now just, uh, you know, the use has exploded, uh, even though QR codes have been around for 25 years, they're finally just, uh, you know, picking up in the United States in like a third wave of QR code usage. Was that your first use case? Like, how'd you get your first hundred customers? Was it restaurants and menus? We actually kind of have um, stayed out of the restaurant um, area a little bit just because there's so many people competing for that right now. Um, Brian and I both have a background in e-commerce and retail. So uh, we, we started with a few of those, but mostly we're going after API partnerships. So other platforms that we can integrate with. And because we do those integrations, we can become available to all of their customers right out of the gate instead of us going to try and find all the customers. Can, that's fascinating strategy. Can you tell me about the first API integration or partnership you guys launched? Yeah, um, Postal IO is one of the first ones that we did. We work really well with them because they do a lot of um, B2B uh, account-based marketing. So we were able to, um, they sent wooden boxes of cookies from Nam's Bake Shop and they uh, wood-burned QR codes on the lids of those cookie boxes with a personal video from their customer to uh, you know, the end user. And it just got such a great reaction. They wanted to start putting QR codes on every package that they sent out. So would Postal IO then buy a bulk license plan from you guys and white label your QR code product or they'd sell your thing directly to their end customers? Great question. And uh, we're still working out. Postal is one of our best partners and uh, you know we just love working with them. So we're figuring out the best ways to work together. But ideally what's going to happen is that um, people are going to be embedding our software into their platforms. So then it's just an extra thing that they can sell to 
their customers and then we'll share the revenue on that. Mm-hmm. Do you have brand equity though? In other words, will end customers know about you or will you really just keep your brand equity to ring pins and then they will mask your service as their own in a white label fashion to their end users? Great question. And I, both com- but I think both options will be happening. Okay. We do have customers that we work with directly to build up that brand equity. And it also gives us the virality piece that we can have, you know, powered by ring pin on every page that someone could click on if they thought it was a cool experience to build their own QR code and landing page. But we will have some other customers that want to white label it and present it as their own software. When you sent me earlier that the starting point is somewhere around 2K per month, is that for a partner like Postal or an end customer like a Postal customer with the QR code on the boxes? Yeah, it would be for either. Okay, so they're they're both paying about two. I guess I guess I'm a little bit confused on if if a direct brand is going to pay you to use you and they're not white labeling anything. You know, you say they can get started at two grand a month. I imagine if Postal's working with you, it's a very different sort of model. There's sort of a deeper relationship there, right? Yeah, I mean, with Postal, just to be totally transparent, we just started, you know, to do to prove the concept, and we wanted to see how it was going to play out before figuring out the financial pieces behind it. But okay. most likely, with them, because we like them so much, we will give them the software and then just share the revenue from customers that they sell it to. I see. Um, I see. But yeah. were they? I, I was asking about your first, like, folk, your first hundred folks in using the platform in 2016. Postal was your first one launched back then, or you? Oh just no, no, no. Postal has been since. Sorry, since the pivot where oh. we added the QR codes and everything um, towards the end of last year. I'm sorry I about see. That. I see. Well, take me back to the start date. What was your initial yeah. thesis? Who were your first 100 customers? Oh, got you. Okay. So way back in the day, um, we were building an omni-channel contact center for this insurance agency here in San Diego. They kept buying other insurance agencies that wanted um, to be able to use all forms of communication, voice, video, text, and live chat from any device in any location. Um, so we started building it for them and they ended up getting acquired by a private equity company before we finished the platform. So then we were sitting with this omni-channel contact center, kind of similar to like a talk desk or a dial pad or something like that, which to be totally frank, didn't, um, excite Brian and I that much, uh, building, you know, a, a kind of phone communication system. What we really wanted to do is just give people the ability to connect from anywhere that they are and do anything they want from anywhere. Um, the phone piece wasn't that exciting and, and we were a little bit more excited about video, but really being able to take it from physical to digital um, kind of brought it all together with the omni-channel contact center and, um, you know, the actions and experiences that you can deliver through these codes. Yep. So most of our customers in the beginning were all just phone and texting customers um, and they were a much different kind of level of customer than we're looking at right now. Now we're going after enterprise instead of, you know, small business and mid-market. So let's fast forward to today, back from the call center approach, then you're doing the post pan integration test today, launched after the pivot. How many customers are you now serving today? Yeah, um, if we include the old ones, you know, we have probably about 45, but mm-hmm. on the new stuff, we have about seven probably. Okay, got it. So, and then talking about funding, did you bootstrap the company or raise? Yeah, we've bootstrapped. Oh, we love that. Love that. Okay, so bootstrapped 45 customers. Now, can I take 45 times 2,000 a month? It puts you at like 80 grand a month in revenue, something like that? No, no, okay. no, not even close. Those were old customers that were paying much different. Um, you know, we're below 5,000 a month in revenue right now. Yep. But most of the deals that we have in our pipeline are larger than that. So as soon as, uh, you know, we get those across the finish line, we'll, we'll be making moves. And who's we? What's the team look like? Um, we have Brian and I and uh, eight advisors. Okay, got it. So you two are the only full-time folks. Yeah. 
And how do you split roles? Is one of you an engineer and another sales guy or what's that look like? Yeah, Brian handles all the development and architecture and uh, together we work on product and then I do the sales and partnerships. Very cool. And what is you, I mean, it sounds like you've got a piece of technology that touches a lot of businesses that today are raising at billion dollar valuations. You've already touched on Dialpad. I'm also on your website right now. You have a very cool video sort of widget, which is basically like a better version of, you know, Drift or Intercom, right? In terms of live communication on the site. Did you develop that technology as well? That's actually our partner's Go Tolstoy. They're a new startup um, out of Israel that we really like. But we have, um, you know, we have the live video communications and we're partnering with them for the asynchronous video communications. I see. Uh, so we're partnering with other technology people that can kind of fill the gaps until we have a bigger team and can build everything, you know, internally as well. Yep. Yep. Interesting. Very cool. Okay. So, so what's the plan? I mean, how do you go from 45 customers to, you know, 400 customers? Yeah. Um, we love these API partnerships that we're working on. Um, they're giving us access to all of their customer bases. So as soon as we get embedded into those platforms, that will pick up our customers a lot. And uh, we also have a product-led approach. So we have developers building with our API right now internally in companies, and we want them to solve problems internally. And then that will you know, lead to a sale in those places as well. So mm-hmm. we think between the partnerships and the developers, uh, that's how we're going to be you know, expanding. And John, how are you? How are you guys paying? You know, and funding this. You've been doing it since 2016, or about 5k a month in revenue. That's not enough to pay you and your co-partner and your partner to just cover sort of basic living expenses. Yeah, great question. You know, frankly, it's been it's been a struggle, and uh, this year in COVID, you know, slowed down our lifestyle a lot. So I think a lot of things came together to allow this to happen. Um, you know, to be frank, we probably are going to do a raise quite soon after we sign a few of these enterprise deals. Uh, so that will alleviate some of the pressure, but really it has been a struggle to make it this far. Um, and you know, we weren't full time on it up until recently. So we did have other incomes until then, but, uh, bootstrapping a business is hard and you, and you're never, uh, certain that you're going to make it, but in the end, there's a higher risk and a higher reward. When did you work the bandit off? when did you go full time? Um, like June of last year, June of 2019, 2020. Well, listen, this is fun. We're rooting for you guys. How much do you think you'll try and raise if you do go out and do a fundraise? Um, probably three to 5 million. Okay. And what story will you tell in order to get, you know, to what valuation you think you'll sell like 10, 20% of the business? Yeah. And the story is really just the traction that we have with our enterprise deals and, and what's going to be coming in the pipeline in the next month or two. Uh, there's some pretty exciting, exciting brand names and some big opportunities. Uh, so I think that the investors are going to be pretty excited about that. Yeah, very good. John, let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Business book. Um, or book in general. I like The Godfather by Mario Puzo. I don't think everything needs to be that serious. <laughs> number number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Um, I really like uh, Jeff Lawson at Twilio and uh, David Cancel at Drift. Number th- and Eric over at Postal. Sorry, I don't know. That's good. Eric, you got to get Eric in there. He's your big 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 partner, right? Uh, number three, what's your favorite online tool for building the business? Uh, Rome Research. Now, number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Four. Four, okay. And what's your situation? Married, single kiddos? Married with two young kids. Two kids, okay. And how old are you? I'm 43. Turn 40. 44 next week. Oh, exciting. Happy early birthday. Thank you. All right. Take us back to your 20-year-old self. What's something you wish you knew back then? Wow. Um, 
20-year-old self. I was just moving to San Diego and getting started out here. Um, probably, you know, to uh, to ask for help a little bit. Um, it took me almost 20 years to do that for the first time. And I've had uh, huge advancements since I've allowed myself to do that. Uh, I was always someone like kind of like a high achiever and, and didn't ask for help for anyone. And asking for help has opened up a ton of doors for me. Guys, ringpin.com, founded back in 2016 by John, now doing about under $5,000 a month in revenue across 45 customers, but looking to scale. He finally ripped the bandit off and went full-time last year, helping SMBs like restaurants and actually mainly other brands understand how to use QR code technology. The go-to-market really right now is through API partners like Postal, which they're really excited about. We'll see what happens. John, thanks for taking us to the top. Thanks a lot for having me. This is awesome.